Welcome to the 12th edition of the New York Jets 2019 Offseason Roundtable. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And this week we are going to begin the roundtable by picking things off where we left off last time with Jim Garrity. And Jim, you mentioned the possibility of the Colts being a threat in terms of signing Le'Veon Bell. Now, I'm sure if he signs with the Colts, somebody will find this audio, play it back, and rag on me for it. (laughs) So that's fine. If that happens, it happens. But what I can say is that my friend George Bremer, who's a beat reporter for the Indianapolis Colts, has told me that he believes that the Colts are not going to sign Bell because he said that they already have three running backs they like, especially Marlon Mack. All of them make peanuts and that they are not going to want to spend on a running back. They want to spend on the defense. He said the only reason that he thinks it's possible that maybe the Colts could get into it is if he believes that Le'Veon Bell is the best receiving option because the Colts do want to add a receiver, but he feels that there's a very strong chance that they're not really going to be in the Le'Veon Bell sweepstakes. He told me he would be pretty surprised if it happened. I think his words were something along the lines of never say never, but I'd be pretty close to shocked. So we'll see. I say that and I probably just jinxed it and now he'll end up signing with the Colts because that's how these things work, right, Jim? We've been around long enough to know that. The other thing I will will say, Jim, is that talking to my friend John Grella, who used to work as the head of communications for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you kind of get a feel for how these teams operate and how these leaks get out and why they're leaked and so on and so forth. I suspect that the Jets leaked the idea that they're not going to back up the truck for Le'Veon Bell because they're trying to do two things. Number one, they're trying to establish leverage here. They want to make sure that Bell and his agents know that they're not going to be taken advantage of the same way that they were last year with Kirk Cousins, who used them for leverage, and I don't fault them for it. That's the game and no problem. I don't have any problem with them doing it, but that's essentially what he ended up doing. He used the Jets' as leverage against the Vikings. I think the Jets want to avoid that happening, and the other thing is I think they're trying to manage fan expectations because they want to make sure that if they don't land Le'Veon Bell, the fan base doesn't freak out and start yelling for McCagnon's head and we see billboards and blimps and all this stuff calling for him to be fired. I think they want to put these things out there so that Jets fans are aware that there are legitimate concerns going into this if they don't land him. Now, I could be wrong, but I think that's probably what's happening there. But it's going to be very interesting to see if they go out and land him. Like you said, I think that if they did get him... This would be the first time the Jets had a real dominant weapon in the prime of his career on the offensive side of the ball since Curtis Martin. And by the way, interesting thing since you brought that up, what you said is completely accurate, not only among fans, but also with players, because I was talking to Ray Mickens when we recorded a series about the 1998 season. And what he told me was when they went out and got Curtis Martin, he and a bunch of the rest of the guys on the team were like, well, I mean, Curtis Martin's good, but Adrian Morell's really good. What are we going out and spending all this money yeah. on Curtis Martin? And why are we giving up draft picks? Is he really that much better than Adrian? And then he said, as he practiced with him and as he actually watched him playing games, And saw him conduct himself He saw things that don't even necessarily Show up on film unless you're somebody that's really Tuned to that stuff Just blitz pickups and things like that On top of the fact that he always seemed to Find a way to get a first down When he needed it, always found a way To make a play, even if he wasn't The most dynamic guy in terms of You know, you weren't going to see Curtis Martin run for 100 yards, and you're not going to usually see that With Le'Veon Bell, because one of the drawbacks With him is he doesn't have top level Speed, but a very similar situation there so I think you're right I think that's the guy it'll be the first time as my friend Nick Spano said since Curtis Martin has been here that 
you would have a guy on this offense at a skill position that opposing defensive coordinators would have to stay up into the wee hours of the night game planning again. So it'd be interesting. I see the drawbacks. I see the positives. I think we're going to find out exactly what the Jets think of him very quickly because if they are looking to move, I think they're going to do what they did with Cousins. Come right out of the gate with their best offer. Tell them you've got 24 hours to accept it or we're moving on, and then we'll see what happens. But I think that if they add him, it could be a very fascinating first step to perhaps a Steelers reunion, Jim, because as we know, Antonio Brown is on the trade market or at least it seems that way. It looks like ownership and Brown are now on the same page for the first time as far as punching his ticket out of there. I will say this caveat from what I'm told, if they trade him before June 1st, it's a $21 million cap hit. If they trade him after June 1st, it's $7 million. So I think there's a good chance that if he gets traded, it's after June 1st, but we will see. That said, what do you think about the possibility of going out and getting Antonio Brown or even somebody like A.J. Green or somebody else in the trade market? Is there anybody, so, Brown included, that you like as a possible guy to bring in here via trade? Yeah, so a, couple, man, a bunch of thoughts to piling up in my, uh, in my mind right now, like planes trying to land at Newark Airport. Um, first, one quick note on Curtis Martin. We talk about those little things. If Curtis Martin had whatever it was, like 14,000 yards in his career, Probably a good 6,000 of those yards were because every time he was tackled, he would fall forward mm-hmm. and get about a two extra yards. Right? I think every yep. single play, he got two extra yards because they hit him, fall forward, you know, you, and oftentimes it would be just beyond the first down marker or something. Kirk Cousins, worth noting, by the way, I, Scott, I can't remember too many players who had dominated the offseason discussion, and then the season began... And then he just kind of went away. <laughs> you know, I mean, he didn't have a bad season for Minnesota. They didn't, you know, did not have the success they had. I remember back when Cousins was trying to make that choice, and I wonder if, in retrospect, you know, three years from now, we're going to look back and say, "Huh, maybe he had the wrong choice." Minnesota's by no stretch of the imagination a bad team. And you know, two years ago they were very good. They certainly were not bad with Cousins last year. Um, but look, the NFC is is loaded, right? I mean, they got you know the Rams. Um, who obviously, you know, forgot how to play football in the Super Bowl, but up until then, we're looking like the next great, you know, up-and-coming rising dynasty. The Eagles, who can't be uh, counted out anytime soon. Um, the Saints, who I would have loved to have seen in the Super Bowl, and, you know, according to that, the refs had, you know, made a couple different decisions. Maybe they would be there. Uh, Atlanta is nobody to sneeze at. Chicago is coming on strong. The Packers, you know, everybody, everybody thought, oh, okay, you know, Rodgers is coming back. They're nothing to sneeze at. The NFC's got a lot of good teams. Kirk Cousins and the Vikings could be very good for the next three to four years and not only not win the Super Bowl, maybe not make the Super Bowl, just the way the ball bounces in, in the NFC playoffs. So at the end of that, if you've paid $80 million, if you were 13-3, and three, and then you go out and you get Kirk Cousins and you give him a small you know, $80 million, whatever it is, a fortune, and you don't get to the Super Bowl, did that turn out to be the right decision for the, the Vikings? Did that really make you that much better? I, I think, you know, people might look back on that and say that was eh, really not the right move for that thing and probably not the right move for him because if he'd come to the Jets, he probably would have been appreciated. So, anyway, uh, on for Antonio Brown. As much as I've come around to be an enthusiast of signing Le'Veon Bell, over time I've become more skeptical of Antonio Brown. Uh, my podcast co-host, Mickey White, is a diehard Steelers fan. And she is just, she, she's not quite sitting in the corner rocking herself <laughs> with, 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 with sorrow and horror over how this shook out. But she's, she's pretty darn disappointed by this. I think, 
I, I, first of all, you know, if you were hitting the free agent market, I might be more interested. Because this would require a trade, this would require giving something up, I don't see the Jets having a ton of resources. We don't have a number two pick this year. We got two number threes. Um, as you said, if they hold it till after June, it would be after the draft. So now you'd be talking about draft picks in the following year. Um, and here's what I thought: about. you know, you can very easily argue that over the last five years, Antonio Brown has been one of the best wide receivers in the game. He is 31 years old. Will he be one of the best wide receivers in the game for the next for the next five years? I don't think that is the case. Uh, wide receiver is another position where. Once you get past 30, you know, you can do all the strength and conditioning that you want in the world that you want. The speed starts to fade. You get a little bit less separation. Now, if Antonio Brown came to the Jets, he'd be the best receiver on the roster, you know, by a wide margin. Sorry, Robbie Anderson. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Quincy Inunua. Um But I don't know how long Antonio Brown would stay in that, in that condition, in that position. Add up all of the drama, add up all the problems he's had with the Steelers so far, that he looks like... The risk-to-reward ratio on Antonio Brown doesn't look quite as good. Um, so, if yeah, if you could get him at the, just by throwing a lot of money at him, great. But it is going to be, also, like you said, a $21 million hit for a wide receiver. That's quite a bit. Um, would Sam Darnold love to have this guy? I'm sure of it. Would he instantly you know, transform the Jets' offense, and all of a sudden you know, you'd have to double-cover him and maybe open up other options for the other receivers? Yeah, that'd be great. But... Uh, I, I, the sheer amount of outlandish statements he's made and the social media issue, you know, tirades and all that kind of stuff just just makes me nervous about Antonio Brown and whether he would be happy uh, wherever he goes. And so considering the fact that the uh, Steelers seem pretty determined that they probably would strongly prefer to trade him to an NFC team, that means you'd probably have to offer more. Um, and if you're not going to, if he's, if you don't want him, if he's not going to be on your team, you want him over in the NFC where he's not going to be playing you all that often. Um, so I don't think Antonio Brown is nearly worth the effort, uh, that Le'Veon Bell is. Um, that's, you know, again, great talent, but also the other thing is like, you know, you can get a bunch of receivers who don't, uh, who aren't the masked singer. <laughs> who aren't, you know, like guys, guys will be, you know, eight tenths, you know, 80% is good or 75% is good who aren't going to, you know, you don't have to worry about the off season. They suddenly look and conclude, oh my goodness, I'm underpaid and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So um, I could very much, I, I could very much understand if the general manager and coaching staff said, you know who we want? We want no drama guys. We want guys who are not going to get in trouble off the field, aren't going to get suspended, no PEDs. And just, you know, let them go and, and go out and play and, and who, who we can count on week to week. And I sometimes I get the feeling these players don't quite realize that kind of gets factored into your value. If, if you're going to be somebody who's going to be this constant issue and constant distraction. A lot of guys have the talent to make it worthwhile. And I think you could argue the Antonio Brown of the, of the recent past is worth it. I'm not so, I'm not so sure. How far into the future, though, Antonio Brown would still be worth it? While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. 
They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I should note that for anybody who's confused, Antonio Brown is the former name of the wide receiver on the Pittsburgh Steelers, who is now known as Mr. Big Chest. So, yeah. By the way, I, <laughs> when, I, when I think of Big Chest, I'm not thinking of football players. Just, <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely not something that you're going to be hearing on the Three Martini Lunch. I would gather. No, no. We, yeah. <laughs> by the way, this should go without saying, but if the Jets do get Bell, Brown, or both. You and Mickey got to come on the podcast together, and we all got to talk about it. Oh, absolutely. And this would be my all of a sudden being very excited about all these guys and probably her warning, ah, you're not going to like this guy. He's going to be – we got the best out of him. And all that. But it is kind of interesting to hear Steelers, players, Steelers fans talking about them now, and I don't think it's just sour grapes and, and, and all that kind of stuff. I, I also I think my you – know, again, I don't want to speak on behalf of Mickey or um, – Pittsburgh dad or, or any of these guys out there, but I get the feeling for a really long time, the Steelers were one of the NFL's glamour franchises, old reliables, big, strong, tough guys. You didn't see players get into a lot of trouble. Um, uh, you know, there, there wasn't a, an enormous amount of, they were not a very big team. You'd often find a TMZ other than maybe one incident with Brent Roethlisberger in a, in a ladies room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but by and large, they, and that was part of their glamour, right? That they were just a bunch, you know, they weren't constantly dealing with distractions and all that stuff. I think the Steelers fan base is really thrown by this. That they're not used to dealing, and Mike Tomlin ran a tight ship, and, and you know, you didn't have head, they, they, were, they were not a Keyshawn Johnson kind of team, right? They were not the kind of uh, Randy Moss, although Randy Moss turned into a good citizen eventually. Um, Fairly of other, like you know, the the you know, the ego, uh, loudmouth wide receivers. Some of whom were great, and lovable, like uh, Chad Ochocinco, uh, and then some of them, like uh, Terrell Owens, could could really be an issue in the locker room. And the, the Steelers generally didn't have to deal with any of that stuff. So, I think there's a little bit of uh, I exaggerate slightly post traumatic stress syndrome because <laughs> uh, <laughs> Steelers fans uh, as they suddenly deal with players who yeah, there's also. Players always wanted to be there, and you didn't want to kick up too much trouble because you wanted to stay there. And uh, yeah, I, I, as much as you know, this ah, this was an extraordinarily frustrating season and the way it ended in Atlanta. Um, but boy, you know, I, I did feel like we were ready for a big changing of the guard in the AFC. That at some point, Brady and Belichick have to either retire or die. Um, <laughs> and at this point, you know, whatever works. Let's hope for retirement. I don't want to be wishing death on anybody. <laughs> Everyone's mortal. Let's just keep in mind. Um, Momento mori. Uh, at some point, the Patriots dynasty would come to an end. And that I think as Roethlisberger's, you know, clearly on the 
never mind the back half of his career. I don't know if he's the starting quarterback two years from now, three years from now. You got to you got to wonder how much how much gas he's got in the tank. The the the, the two those were the two iconic teams that maybe you could throw in Denver. Uh, during the the Peyton Manning years, maybe you could throw Indianapolis during the Peyton Manning years. You know that there was time for new powers to rise, and it looks like Kansas City is set to be one of them. Uh, Browns fans would argue they've got the tools, and boy, we we sure were hoping we'd be one of them. <laughs> we were due, and we are due, and hopefully we will be. Uh, look, there's really no reason the Jets can't and shouldn't be significantly better this off season, uh, this coming season. If for no other reason than the fact that every new Jets head coach does well his first year going back to Parcells. Maybe you could toss out Al Groh. Even uh, Al yeah. Groh went 9-7 and seven his first year. That's right, yeah. You know, Parcells took him from like 1-15 to 9-7. Nine, nine um, Herm made the playoffs his first year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mangini made the playoffs his first year, right? Didn't he? Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Rex was, you know, in the championship game his first two years. Convinced Rex Ryan was a great coach. And for a couple of years he was. And uh, every Jets head coach has had a winning record his first season since Parcells. And so, really, I have no idea why the expectations for Gase would be yes, yeah, seven and nine, eight and eight. That's fine. No, no, no. I, I, if they're not nine and seven, something went wrong. And the other thing, which is also really frustrating about the Gase, and I, I don't know. I, I, I don't. Again, I want to see Gase succeed. I don't want him to be one and done or something like that. But if there isn't, if there's any indication that he's not the right guy. I'm kind of in the mood to tear off the, the Band-Aid. And that's one of the reasons that makes this hiring choice so frustrating. Because let's say McKagan has a bad draft. Let's say the free agents don't pan out well. Let's say that after this season, it's not there's no strong case for keeping Mike McKagan as general manager for the Jets. Well, you get rid of him. You bring in the new guy. Does the new guy want Adam Gase? Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. The new guy's probably going to want to bring in his own coach, right? So you end up, you know, if you're going to if you're going to change your management of your team, do both at once. Just just make a clean sweep. Bring in the GM. Let the GM pick the head coach he wants, and hold the GM accountable for the head coach's performance. Not this. Well, we're going to hold one guy accountable, but not that guy. You know, I, I the, the, this 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 separate track for the two positions really leaves me as a uh, uh, you know. Leaves a bad taste in my mouth, but uh, Lord knows I'd love to be very happy to uh, uh, be proven wrong. Jim, I just have one thing to say to Pittsburgh Steelers fans, and you can deliver this message to Mickey for me as far as having to deal with this kind of circus atmosphere for the first time. May I quote Bruce Willis's character from the yeah. movie Die Hard speaking to Sergeant Al Pal? Welcome to the party, pal. <laughs> yeah, and also, like... My, you know, my heart doesn't bleed for for Steelers fans. Of like, you know, oh my goodness, it's been like a few years since we've been to the playoffs. We haven't we haven't won a Super Bowl in like a decade. It's so <laughs> terrible. Yeah, yeah. No, no sympathy here. So, no question about it. I think that Steelers fans. I don't want to say they deserve this, but listen, we've dealt with it long enough. They can take it for a year or they, two. They were due. They were due for this. If every franchise is going to have its period of intense drama. Well, it's it's your turn to the barrel, guys. So hope you enjoy it, and, and hopefully, hopefully it passes quickly. And look, you know, it's not like the Steelers were a bad team last year. Um, not great. I think very disappointing. I think I picked them as the uh, AFC representative in the Super Bowl. Uh, I think I picked the Rams. So good for me on that. Um, but uh, yeah, they, you know, again, I think it's interesting to question how much the off off the field drama was an issue compared to just not being the traditional, I mean, it's not like, uh, what's James Conner was, was, you know, certainly a fine enough fill-in for, for Le'Veon Bell. Um, 
you know, they're, they're an aging team. Uh, and my sneaking suspicion is that at some point age catches up with them. Um, be interesting to see if you hear calls for replacement of Roethlisberger at some point. Um, you know, every every dynasty comes to its end, and I think the Steelers were expecting one or two more championships before it ended, and uh, that may not be in the cards for them. We'll, we'll have to see how the, what the coming year brings. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. No question about it, but they've always been able to get by not only on the culture, but also the fact that they've drafted very, very well from year to year. That's something the Jets have had a lot of trouble with since the Mangini years. And as we said, if they're going to take a step forward, they're going to have to fix that. It's going to have to start right now, this year, this April in this draft. So let's talk about that a little bit. The Jets have the number three overall pick. And then they have all the rest of their picks except number two and number six, but they do have an extra third rounder from the Teddy Bridgewater deal. So first things first, what do you like at number three? Is there a specific player that you think the Jets should zero in on? Would you be looking to trade back? And as far as the rest of the picks, any players or any specific positions that you'd like to see them target? Sure. Um, I, going into this draft, or at the beginning of the start of the offseason, I was ready to be perfectly happy if they spent every draft pick on offense. I feel like the offense has been, you know, terribly neglected, uh, in particularly the offensive line. But really, you know, um, between wide receivers who have not panned out, our Darius Stewart's, the Chad Hansons, um, you can't blame them too much for Devin Smith not panning out because of his uh, uh, injuries and stuff. But man, you know, we've we've had a lot of mid-round picks on, on wide receiver and stuff that have not panned out the way they're supposed to. Um, I was perfectly happy to pick Jonah Williams, the giant offensive uh, lineman from uh, Alabama. Uh, that was my early pick. Uh, everyone seems to think he's the consensus best offensive lineman in the draft. And when you've just drafted your quarterback of the future, who's looking pretty good, I like the idea of putting the best offensive lineman in the draft in front of him. And it sounds like he's got a pretty decent amount of versatility. Uh, was playing tackle for Alabama. Some people say he'd project better as a guard in the NFL. Um, I like that option. I'm starting to come around. Uh, I still think you know. I still think that general philosophy is best. That basically, if you have the option of, um, you, anytime you that, unless there's a spectacular defensive player, you should be looking to bolster this offensive line, and fill your rest of your holes through free agency and and maybe you know post training camp cuts and and stuff like that on on defense if you need to. They've got enough first round draft picks over the years. They so they really shouldn't be needing that many. Of course, the Jets are picking third, and it sounds like the top three players in the draft are on defense. <laughs> and uh, so, so put me down as one of those guys who says, if by some miracle Nick Bosa slips to three, okay, fine, go get him. Uh, when everybody is raving about this guy uh, as you know the the you know next great pass rushing menace that will terrorize the league, hey, you know what, I'm sold. Uh, and it sounds like Josh Allen, an outside linebacker from Kentucky, is, is just one step behind that, generating that kind of excitement. If he's there at three, I, I could they could I could easily okay, all right, he's good enough. You know, anybody who, who really ranks that high, I'm hearing more and more discussion about Quinnen Williams, and I myself was not um, 
not expecting the Jets to take a defensive lineman with this pick. I think you know you could pretty much argue that they have much more pressing needs elsewhere. Uh, we've seen, but it's worth noting, back we've had um, really good offensive linemen uh, for a long stretch, and we did not have the success this team wanted to succeed. Um, your your pass rush can I think it was you know the season opener against Cincinnati a few years ago. We we sacked the Bengals quarterback eight times and we still lost. Um, <laughs> You know, like it, it, a pass rush is great, but if you don't have guys who can cover, uh, then you know there'll be enough plays where they'll manage to get that first down, keep the ball moving, and uh, uh, and make things happen. So I, I'm not. I really would rather not. On the other, so I'm, I'm still need to be persuaded about Williams, but I'm starting to come around. If he really is that much of a world beater, then yeah, you know, having him and Leo Williams on the same defensive line to be exciting, et cetera, et cetera. But the problem is that means you're not addressing your other, you know, much more glaring offensive needs uh, until the third round. And it's worth noting that our third round, our third round pick is early. The one we got from the Saints is pretty darn far, pretty far back. So you've got the number three overall pick, and then a long wait till your third round pick, and then you're waiting another decent round again. So yeah, you get three pick, three players in the first three rounds, but. You know, you've got one really great choice, and then you've got two that are, you know, back to, towards the, you know, towards the rear of the selection process there. So I'm not, again, it would be really nice if we had a general manager who could hit on mid-round picks. We do not have that um, with, uh, by and large. Uh, you know, maybe you could say Chris Herndon is, is, a, is a nice fourth-round pick. Okay, good for you. Uh, Trenton Cannon might give you value for the sixth pick. Uh, I'm not... In love with Elijah McGuire has had some nice moments um, here and there. Um, I mentioned Brandon Shell. Yeah, he's been a solid tackle. I don't think he's been um, a world beater, and I'm worried about whether he comes back and stuff. But by and large, you know, we, we when people talk about McKagan, they generally bring up the first round picks. And Scott, I have a feeling that if you and I were given the sixth pick in the first round a couple of years in a row and the third pick in the, a couple of years ago, <laughs> we'd probably find some good guys. That's not the hard part, right? When, when you put when people put together their mock draft, the first four or five are the pretty relatively easy ones and the fun ones. And then once you get to like you know eighteen, nineteen, twenty, or even into the, the playoff teams, and you're you know. <laughs> You're kind of taking your best guess. The draft is really dramatic for about the first 10. And then you're watching that one last player who's sitting in the waiting room who doesn't get selected. <laughs> and it looks more and more sad as the night goes on. And then he finally gets picked and everybody cheers and stuff. Somebody observed, and we're taping this the day before the, the day of the Oscars. Somebody's argued, and I hope I don't offend anyone with this statement. Please don't write into Scott with, you know, angry letters. Um, the, the, the NFL draft is Oscars for straight men. Um, it is, when you think about it, we we watch these guys. Sometimes you watch these guys in college and all kind of stuff. And you, we know that for these guys, this is the, the culmination of a lot of years of hard work. Uh, not necessarily hard class work. <laughs> we know that universities do not always do a great job of educating student athletes, but these guys have worked their tails off. Often they're coming from, you know, tough backgrounds. Dad's not in the picture. You know, raised by their mother or grandmother. They bring their mother or grandmother with them to the draft, and they get their name called. And if you're in that first round, you know you're getting a couple million dollars. You know that worst-case scenario, you're Ryan Leaf. You're still going to be okay. 
Okay? You, are, you are freed from financial worries for the rest of your life as long as you manage your money reasonably carefully and you and your family are getting this great reward for all of this. It's a beautiful moment. And, you know, they, they tear up and we're all happy for them. And hey, you know, maybe we finally got that, you know, that offensive lineman we're looking for. So, you know, the NFL draft is a beautiful day for a lot of Jets fans. It's the happiest day of the year, <laughs> full of hope and optimism and excitement, and, and I always enjoy it. Um, but, you know, they, they, for the last couple of years, it's been a matter of, you know, we get to watch for the first, you know, five, six picks, and then I can go and do something else. <laughs> I'm not that interested <laughs> in what the other teams are going to do. I, I'll, I'll check it the next morning, but, you know. So my hope is, um, I, I think, the other option I suppose I should talk about is trading back. And, Scott, it all depends on what, what the trade is. You know, if, if somebody's going to give you a, a big pile of picks and maybe a player or two or something and, and all that stuff, great. You know, that, that it could easily be worthwhile. Um, now, I think you're right that you're, the drop-off after those first three, maybe four picks starts to, uh, starts to get pretty dramatic and you start having to calculate, okay, now what's – if we if we go back seven places, what does the team that's picking fifth want? And is that player we want still going to last to number twelve? You know, all kind of different stuff. So um, I'm not enamored. I, w- I would not count on getting a good offer for trading down. These these very rarely seem to turn out the way they want. Interesting debate where I am in Washington. Uh, the Redskins are apparently uh, Redskins having had Alex Smith have the most hideously gruesome injury of the entire year. Um, and having look, I, I know it'll shock you, Scott. They don't have faith in Mark Sanchez as their quarterback <laughs> in the future. Stunning. Yeah, um, you know, we we could tell them some tales. Um, the other thing, you know, they but Redskins fans seem really convinced that Colt McCoy, uh, who was their backup quarterback and has been a backup for a bunch of years, who also got hurt last year, uh, that Colt McCoy is ready to step in and be a starter. I'm not a hundred percent convinced of that, but you know. The general Colt McCoy also, by the way, has been around this league for I believe like ten years or something like that. He's not he's not a spring chicken. Um, so you kind of had this attitude of the Redskins really need a quarterback. Well, if you need a quarterback, and they're they're currently they're they're ranked fifteenth, right? You know, real real close to the middle. Are you going to have a quarterback there? Sure. Is it going to be the quarterback you want? Maybe not. I uh, you're left wondering, you know, would this would the Jacksonville Jaguars like to move up? Um, they, you know, are one of those teams that looked like they were loaded with talent, and if they just had a decent NFL quarterback, they could really frighten people. Um, you know, there are good. There are probably going to be a couple of teams who are looking at quarterbacks. It's not a great draft for quarterback, and it's worth noting most of the teams that de- desperately needed a quarterback did what we did. They went out and got a quarterback last year. Um, I, I think unless you get some sort of super duper offer. Uh, stay at three. If you get, I, I'd be perfectly happy with Jonah Williams at three. I know some people think he's not quite worthy of the third overall pick. Um, I, I would rather get Jonah Williams at three than trade back seven places and watch Jonah Williams go uh, at you know eight, seven or eight, and, and all of a sudden not have the player we wanted. Uh, and then you know, uh, again, unless you're getting a, a king's bounty with with all the other uh, things in that trade. It's probably not worth it. See, I'd be happy with if Bosa were there. I don't think he'll be there. I think he's probably going first overall to the Cardinals. Uh, Josh Allen, I'm fine with. Very, still be very happy with Williams. And um, as for Quinn Williams, I gotta do some uh, research. I, I know some people also big on the the greedy Williams. They're all named Williams. You know who they should pick? You know who they should pick? Scott Williams. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just say Williams and hope they get the right one. Yeah. Uh, there you go. That'll be my uh, my my guess is this will pick Williams. No, 
I, by the way, the, the nice thing about having two great safeties back there, and you know, hopefully Tremaine Johnson plays a little bit better. Um, that yeah, you know, if you could get a the, the best cornerback out of the draft, boy, that that would be great. I just think we have so many other giant pressing needs um, that cornerback would be a luxury unless you traded back a bit and got a bunch of other neat stuff to go with it uh, in that. But who knows? We'll see. My guess, the other problem with the trade back scenarios is they usually offer them not the way Mac did, you know, like a month, some weeks ahead of the, the draft. You usually get them the day of the draft, and you've got, you know, 10 minutes to evaluate. Are you getting fair value for <laughs> what you're about to give up here? And I, let's just say one more reason I don't want to put Mac into high-pressure, got-to-make-a-decision-really-fast situations. Hey, guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I'll say two things. The first one is please direct all your hate tweets to at Jim Garrity. Okay? There you go. So yeah, that's the yeah. first thing I want to say. The second thing is I agree with you as far as an offer to move up. I think that... The three best players in this draft, and you and I differ on this a little bit, for me, it's Quinn and Williams, Nick Bosa, and Josh Allen, in whatever order you want to put them in. I think they're interchangeable in some respects. I think Allen is probably third on that list, and I would have Bosa and Williams at either one or two, depending on which way you look at it. I think Quinn and Williams may actually be the best player in the class, but you might make the case that Bosa plays a more important position, so you might take him. Regardless, I think that there's a fairly steep drop-off after those three guys, and so if I'm going to move out of that spot, I would want a substantial offer, and part of the reason on top of it is because as you said, I don't really trust Mike McCagnin to move back and make the right pick when it's a questionable spot. I think if you're in the top three and you have those three staring at you, you get one of the three and you're good because I think all three of them have serious potential. After that, you're taking guys that are all in that same category. There's about 10 guys that are right on that second tier. Some of them are riskier than others, and so I'm not sure that I like the idea of Mike McCagnin moving back and being the one to navigate that situation. So I think if you consider the fact that there's a fairly steep drop from the top three and the fact that McCagnin's had a bit of a shaky history drafting guys as he goes down a little bit, I would be hesitant to move out of that spot unless I got a really strong offer. Jim, last order of business it's technically on the field, but it has nothing to do with the actual playing. Or some people may think it does, but in reality it doesn't. And that's the uniforms. You've been a longtime fan. You've seen many incarnations of this uniform. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I, I, my, I would say plays bets that I will probably not like the new ones. Um, <laughs> and that is probably my natural inherent big C and small C conservatism, my fear of change, my love of tradition, um, you know, here's the, first of all, I loved when, you know, I guess it was between the 97-98 season, they switched from the Kelly Green 80s-era Jets uniforms uh, to going back to the Namath-era uh, Hunter Green uniforms. And I really like the current uniforms. Yes, I realize they've had them for 20 years, and so that they've, you know, maybe it is time for a change or something like that. I did see, so the, the two thoughts I have is it's kind of tough to make green a great color on a uniform because the field is green, right? So you want something that will stand out against the color of grass. 
Um, the Eagles have already kind of gotten that emerald green look. Um, I did see a few options. That the If you're going to go with it, the Department of like the Oregon Ducks actually had a couple of interesting, neat ones. Um, they kind of had a uh, winged-type theme to them that I was like, okay, maybe something like that could work uh, for the Jets. I've, I've heard some people argue that because of most Jets are kind of either a metallic-colored chrome, silver, something like that, but then you end up looking a lot more like the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, I don't know. I, I, I understand the attitude of, like, you want to change the culture, you want to change the perceptions of the team. Um, I have generally hated the Titans uniforms uh, just because it's like we, we were so poor back then we couldn't afford a logo. <laughs> you know? uh, but it also seemed appropriate that the one, you know, Brett Favre in his one year with the Jets had that one phenomenal game against the Arizona Cardinals where he did something with the Jets he had never done with the, Packing, the Packers or Vikings. He threw six touchdowns in a game. And the Jets, I think it was, it was, the, it was Mangini, right? Yes, it was 2008. Okay. And it was, a, it was one of the rare times the Jets, both with Bowles and almost all of our coaches, have had this dignified, honorable, good sportsman. Once we're ahead by a decent amount, we're not going to run up the score. Man, Scott, you would have thought you know the opposing coach had knocked up Eric Mancini's daughter. Uh, <laughs> he, he just they, they just kept passing touchdowns. I think they did something like a fake, like a flea flicker with like two minutes left. The yep. Jets up thirty. It was like insanely. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I've, I've never had a particularly strong opinion about the Arizona Cardinals, but man, it was just kind of fun to see somebody just kicking the snot out of them for sixty solid minutes. So. But they did it in the, on one of the throwback uniforms when they were wearing the weird, uh, you know, muddy gold and navy blue, one of those, the Giants practice uniforms or something, uh, uh, situation for the Jets. So that will always be there in one of our, comp- when they show the compilation of Brett Favre's greatest games, you know, the Packers, 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 maybe one or two of the Vikings and Wait, what? Who was he playing for then? Was that his college years? Yeah. <laughs> Worth noting, by the way, if you're a believer in karma, that season the Jets ended up missing the playoffs and the Arizona Cardinals went to the Super Bowl and almost won. So I guess it all came back around. But yeah, that was something else. Not only did the Jets have six passing touchdowns, but just a phenomenal game by the defense. Darrell Revis was all over the field that day. There were sacks galore of Kurt Warner as well. It was just one of the most locked Offsided games in every way that you'll ever see. I think it was just one of those deals where the Jets jumped out to a big lead early and Arizona just never got back into it. But I wish that the Jets would have more games like that where they're dominating early to the point where I could even mm. consider leaving at halftime and going to get something to eat because <laughs> they're up by five or six touchdowns. Let's hope that we're in for something like that over the next year or two. Jim Garrity, the senior political correspondent for National Review. Also, he is the publisher of The Morning Jolt, which is a really good morning newsletter. Keeps you up to date with current events. And as we heard before, co-host of the Jim and Mickey show, I think that it probably took them a good three or four weeks to come up with that name it's a tough one very creative but mickey a big pittsburgh steelers fan so hopefully if the jets land bell and or brown will get her on and the three of us will talk about some jets and steelers stuff jim thanks so much for coming on it's always a blast talking to you really appreciate it for anybody that's unfamiliar with your work or where to find you why don't you go ahead and let them know sure uh most days i write it at nationalreview.com uh, right up at the top, you have a, there's a link that says Morning Jolt. Uh, that's where you can subscribe to the newsletter, and we post the whole thing online every day. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Jim Garrity. Um, that's J-I-M-G-E-R-A-G-H-T-Y. 
Uh, I talk a lot about the Jets during the season, uh, then off season. Um, I probably will be, you know, making snide comments about uh, craft for the next couple of days if you're into that sort of thing. <laughs> um, and the Jim and Mickey show can be available on iTunes and uh, SoundCloud. Just type that into your search engine on there, and you'll find it pretty pretty easily. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next up on the round table, today we got a heavy hitter, big one, a big fish from Bleacher Report. He is a lead NFL writer over there. You've also heard him on this network before. He was a guest judge on What's Your Point with Dalvin Asario and Paulie Rizzi. really glad to have him back to talk about what the Jets should do in the 2019 offseason. Mr. Mike Tanier, what's going on, Mike? Hey, how you doing? If I'm a heavy hitter, I hope that doesn't mean that I, I'm still uh, trying to decide on my contract like all the heavy hitters in Major League Baseball are right now. Listen, if you have to decide on a contract between two hundred forty million and two hundred eighty million, I think you would take that. I think I would. I think I'd also make the decision relatively quickly. You know, <laughs> forty million dollars. I think I could put up with a lot for forty million dollars, no matter how how that's spread out. You hear that Bleacher Report for forty million dollars? He'll go cover <laughs> golf and polo. No problem. Oh, yeah. No, no question. No question. <laughs> Today, though, we're going to talk not about golf and not about water polo, but about the New York <laughs> Jets. So let's start with the key decision maker there, Mr. Mike McCagnan. I know you're not the world's biggest Mike McCagnan fan, so you probably think it was a mistake that the Jets held on to him, right? Yeah, you know what? It's funny because uh, we had a lot of weekend talk about the AAF, and I tuned in to watch a little of the AAF, and a lot of fans did, and there was a lot of chatter. And we talked about it. it was exciting. It was a good little bit of football there. And and the, of all the takeaways from the AAF is that, you know, Christian Hackenberg got shut out as starting quarterback in his game. It was like 10 of 23 as a quarterback for, I don't know if it was the Birmingham Iron. I, I lose track of who's who in that league. So it's funny how an entire league sprouts up, and it's a minor league, and it's still just trolling Mike McCagnan. Like, it's still just demonstrating uh, kind of like the decision-making pro- process there. So, yeah. He's there. He's got you know, whatever hundred million dollars worth of uh, of, uh, of draft capital to work with. Excuse me, of free agent capital to work with. He's got draft capital to work with. And we take one look at the roster and say, this is the roster he's built over four years, and this is a team with needs absolutely everywhere. Um, so I, I don't have a lot of confidence and enthusiasm for what he's going to do for Sam Donald and what he's going to do with that new coaching staff. So going from Mike McCagnin to the guy that Mike McCagnin helped hire, Adam Gase, I know you're really not a fan of Gase because you were cracking jokes about him on the podcast <laughs> long before the Jets ever hired him. So talk to me about what you don't like about Adam Gase. And if there is anything you do like, feel free to throw that in too. And what do you think about the hiring of guys like Greg Williams and Jim Bob Cooter and the whole gang that he's bringing in with him? All right, let me try to reverse engineer this a little bit. If you're a, you're a general manager and you're in charge of the hiring process and you really want to improve the team and embark on a new era, uh, you, you go out and you get a Mike McCarthy. Uh, now, if you're the general manager and you're in charge of the hiring process and you say, well, you know what? I have a bold vision and, and, and an idea of a new direction that we can take things in, and I really uh, I think it's time for us to take a risk and do something different. Uh, you would have taken the, the, the coach from Baylor. You would have taken rule. If you're a general manager in charge of the hiring process of the head coach and say, I want someone who doesn't threaten my position, make me look expendable, make me look foolish. I want somebody safe. I want someone vanilla. And I want somebody that, that kind of makes me look good by comparison. The guy I go out and get without question is Adam Gase. Because you're going to get a guy who's already kind of proven a track record of being kind of bland, being unsuccessful in the division with you, but yet has enough of that, uh, has enough of the bona fides on his resume to, to uh, make it look like it's a good hire. And, and that's really what I saw looking at this. I mean, they went out there and they did what AFC East teams have done 
uh, for years, which is grab each other's stale ideas. That, that they're they're going to they're, they're swapping around another you know Jeff Ireland, another Mike Tannenbaum, uh, another Todd Bowles. Really, uh, they bounce from team to team, and now Adam Gase has bounced from the, the the Dolphins to the Jets. So you know that happens. And and I guess I was holding out for some enthusiasm, saying, okay, you're bringing in Gase. And it, and it's, we're hearing the same things. Oh, Peyton Manning endorsed him. Yeah, that's great. Peyton Manning endorsed him. Uh, Peyton Manning is now gone. He doesn't have to do anything else. He, he endorsed his buddy. That's great. Who's coming in as the uh, uh, assistants? And all I see are the old Peyton pals. All I see is is is, is uh, Doel Logans, who's never gotten a job anywhere that wasn't involved, just following Adam Gase around. Uh, Billy Joe, Jim Bob Cooter, who, again, a couple, couple of years in, in Detroit. Let's talk about the excitement of the Detroit Lions and how Matthew Stafford's real career really took off under that system, right? That, that's, that's really something. So yeah, the way I see it, you know, okay, Greg Williams. Greg Williams had some success in, in, in Cleveland. You notice how Cleveland wasn't, like, eager to keep him. They kept the offensive guy. So, uh, you know, the, the, the general manager has hired the head coach that makes him feel comfortable and safe. The head coach has hired the assistants that make him feel comfortable and safe. And, and none of these are decisions that say, well, we're going to really go out there and challenge ourselves and push ourselves to, to make this organization better. It's, we're going to go out there and do business as usual and do the, hang out with the guys we feel comfortable with and do things the same way we did them with the Bears a couple of years ago and the Dolphins last year. And it's, it's an it's a institutionalized period of mediocrity that, that is going to perpetrate 500 seasons. And I know I'm talking to Jeff Stans getting a 500 season or two under the belt might actually feel like a positive in the short term. Now that you've painted such a positive <laughs> picture for us, Mike, and I have a huge smile on my face thinking about this amazing future that the Jets have ahead of them with McCagnan and Gase, what do you think they should do in free agency? Now, whether or not we trust Mike McCagnan and Adam Gase to make these decisions doesn't really matter because they are the ones making the decisions. So if you were them, what would you do and what do you think they're going to do in terms of targeting free agents? And we'll save Le'Veon Bell for later. He's the main event. So everybody but Le'Veon Bell. Okay, well, I think you have to look around your uh, your own uh, internal free agent situation and see what you do there. I, I don't see a lot. I'm trying. I'm looking at some lists now. I think you want to you want to extend Harry An- Anderson, uh, Henry Anderson. Excuse me. I think he's somebody I want to keep around. There's a couple other guys on the on the list there that I think I, I would be encouraged to take in terms of internal free agents. But I don't think internal free agents really move the needle here. Yeah, I'm looking at the at the overall free agent list across the NFL, and you, you said to hold off on Le'Veon Bell. I don't think you want to be in the position that the Jets have been in in past seasons, where they're the guys who uh, uh, are used as <laughs> negotiating bait for the next team. I think if you go after Jadavian Clowney or you go after D Ford, those assuming those guys aren't franchised, I think Clowney will definitely be franchised. Uh, you know, uh, you're, you're just going to get used. So I mean, I, I would target. I think Frank Clark is a guy. Who is eager for a for a new uh, a new location, and he's a younger dude, and I, I think you can bring him in, and he could be a potential guy as an edge rusher. That would be somebody I would look at as a, as a potential good signing. There, there are a couple of guys along the offensive line. I'm saying that Trent Brown is actually uh, might be available. Uh, if the Patriots don't figure out a way of keeping him, he's another guy who's a young offensive lineman. He can come in and kind of uh, solidify on the offensive line. Uh, uh, target one or two infrastructure. Type guys like those guys. Uh, I see Donovan Smith available as well. That would be somebody you might want to look at. Get one or two of them. Use a lot of that cap money to do that, and and don't go crazy with a splurge. Start with that, and then we could talk about Bell as a possibility in a minute. But then try to, to try to get the upgrade you need through the draft, 
and, and try to have a little bit more of a long range view. I know it's been, I know it's a short window. Donald's got a couple of years before that contract comes up. Use some of it to to not try to do something crazy and 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 really load up a free agent. Mike, you mentioned improving the team through the draft, so we'll circle back to Le'Veon Bell in a bit. But let's go to the draft now. What are some moves you would be looking to make in the draft? Would you want to trade down? If you stay at number three, who would you be looking to take? And are there any guys that you're thinking could be a good fit or any positions in particular in the mid-rounds, third round, fourth round, fifth round? Because they do have two third-round picks in this draft. Well, two third-round picks, I'll start with that. I think this is a great draft to, to really go looking for receivers and maybe looking for backs. It's always good to look for backs in like the third round. But this is a good draft to be looking for those receivers in the third round, uh, fourth round, et cetera, because I don't think there's a lot at the top. There's not some playmaker at the top who's going to be the go-to guy for the next 10 years for Donald. But there can be a lot of guys that you can bring in and say, oh, this is going to be the ideal slot weapon, or this is a guy who can fit as a number two, or can be a, a you know a, 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 a lift-the-lid type of guy who's sort of like a, a low-rent version of Tyreek Hill and can go out there and, and do some of the things that you don't always get from Anderson, although Anderson you think might be penciled in for that. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I at the top of the draft, I just did a mock draft that's going to be up in a couple of days, and I, I have Josh Allen going to the Jets because I think it's a pretty straightforward pick. You get in there, you get an elite edge rush, you get kind of a can't-miss guy, put him in there, fire and forget, and he's one of the three or four best, best guys in the draft, and you're picking third overall, and I think that that, that that makes sense. Trading down could be an option. I mean, you're going to have teams that are looking at Kyle Murray. You're going to have teams that might be looking at Dwayne Haskins. There's a lot that could go down. And if someone's willing to move up on you, uh, you, you should consider that. And I'll, I'll just throw one thought at you here. Right now, the Oakland Raiders are one stop below you at the Jets. Uh, the Raiders need an edge rusher like crazy. Uh, and and uh, I'm, I'm assuming that Bosa and, uh, and Allen are going to go in that top three. So you could conceivably, as a Jets, Try to make a move down. Maybe get the later first-round pick from the Raiders. Okay, the Raiders don't bite and give you one of their later first-round picks just to move up one spot. Maybe you get a second round from them. To move down one spot, they could go out there and take one of those edge rushers. from you. And you could turn around this team and you can get Greedy Williams. You can get your pick of these guys like, like Ed Oliver, uh, stuff like that. And you can just pick needs elsewhere. So uh, it's really good to be at the top of the draft and have a quarterback. Because when you're at the top of the draft and have a quarterback, you can play around. You can have get on the phone with teams that need a quarterback or might have needs elsewhere. And the Jets should pursue all of that, uh, especially in this particular draft, which is so deep with guys like at corner and at guys like defensive tackle and at linebacker that they can go out and fix fix other needs elsewhere for the cost of maybe uh, getting one slightly less impact player at the top. Mike, what do you think about the trade market? Any options you like there as potential ads for the Jets? Uh, I guess, I mean, again, we're, we're holding Bell to the end. If, if we're thinking in terms of Antonio Brown, I would be extremely reluctant to take an Antonio Brown and put him on an Adam Gase team and think that there's going to be like great communication between those two individuals. Let's talk now about Le'Veon Bell. We know that there's positives and negatives. Obviously, the yeah. positives is everything that he's done on the field. The negatives come back to the injuries, the fact that he's had some issues with teammates, apparently, the fact that he's been suspended. So there's baggage there. But let's say mm-hmm. you're the New York Jets, you're Adam Gase. So you said before you'd be reluctant to add Antonio Brown onto a team yeah. that's coached by Gase. So there's a factor there, too, if whether or not you think Bell would be a fit for Adam Gase. But on the field, we do know that Gase loves running backs that can make plays in the passing game, and Bell can do that. So yeah. if you were the Jets, would you back up the truck and offer Le'Veon Bell a huge pile of cash? 
And do you think that's what they're going to do? All right, let's unpack a little of this. I, I don't put Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell in the same category because Antonio Brown's gone like kind of cuckoo bananas crazy town. Like really, <laughs> even as we speak, there's stuff going on on the internet uh, with him. Uh, whereas Le'Veon Bell, yeah, he wants his money. He's wanted his money for a year and he sat out. And it sounds like there was friction there, but I think that there's a lot of just problems with the Steelers. So I'm not as worried that Le'Veon Bell is going to come in and like like blow up a locker room uh, as I think legitimately I'd be worried Antonio Brown is where his mental space is now. So I'm, that, that's not as big a worry for Bell. Here's what I, my advice for the Jets, because I think he can come in, he can be a safety valve uh, for Sam Darnold. He can be somebody who you know catches those outlet passes. I think he's still got uh, several really high-impact years left in him. The Jets don't want to get into a bidding war with themselves over Le'Veon Bell. And you talk about backing up the money truck. Um, I don't think there's going to be a ton of bidders for Le'Veon Bell services. Uh, I, I think that, you know, the 49ers might be in play. I think some other teams might be in play. I think that the Jets are in position to, to kind of dictate. And what they should do in terms of dictating is try to look for some kind of like two-year guaranteed deal, or maybe it's got a third-year dummy year, and has a decent amount of upfront money there, but not some kind of crazy epic break the bank thing. I think, I think you can wait Le'Veon Bell out. I think if Bell's like, oh, this isn't the, the, I wanted to get paid like the top running back and the second best receiver, all that stuff he said two years ago. You can wait him out. He's been out of, out, out, he hasn't got the paycheck in a year. Uh, and give him something a little lower. I don't think you're going to get overbid by another team. And that's what the Jets should do. Keep him in here where he's a little bit of a prove it situation where there's not a lot of long term money, uh, et cetera. And you can get him in and you can get him sort of hungry and motivated. That's what I think they should do. What will they do? <laughs> there's two, there's two, uh, <laughs> There's two elements I don't like. One is just sort of saying we're going to pass on him completely and, and not take an opportunity when you have all this extra money where you can put some upfront money in front of the guy, not take an opportunity to take a chance on this guy, just like whiff on him totally, or back the money truck up, as you said, and put some kind of wacky old Mike Tannenbaum caliber six-year contract in front of a guy who, who might, you know, might see that and might start like not necessarily being the, the happiest camper pretty early in that contract phase. He is lead football writer for Bleacher Report and apparently willing to cover golf for $40 million. <laughs> Mr. Mike Tanier. Mike, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. For anybody that doesn't know where to find you, why don't you go ahead and let them know where they can read your great work and they can interact with you on social media. Oh, you can find me uh, at Bleacher Report. What you do is you download the BR app. Uh, and, uh, you know, once you get that BR app, which is absolutely free and it works perfectly well on your cell phone, you can follow not just your favorite teams like the New York Jets, uh, but your favorite writers as well. You can follow me, Matt Miller, Mike Freeman, Ty Dunn, a bunch of other guys, people who write about golf, et cetera, et cetera. That's where you can find me on the uh, internet or on your phone. Also on Twitter at Mike Tanier. That's at Mike T as in Tango, A N as in Nancy, I E R. And I'm on there all the time. And most of the time these days, I appear to just be arguing about Tyler Merritt. Awesome. Sounds like fun. I might have to jump in on that and get in on the Kyler Murray arguments. I don't even really have a strong opinion of Murray. I just like the fact that it animates you so much. So thanks again for coming on, Mike, and thank you for listening. Be back tomorrow with a brand new XNO Quick Hits dedicated entirely to Le'Veon Bell. Joe Blewett will break down the film with me, so that's going to be a lot of fun. In the meantime, make sure you check out all the great podcasts we have on the Play Like a Jet feed. You know where to do that. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and Turn on the Jets dot com.